You're listening to Pair of Programmers. I'm Christopher Wolf, And I'm John Fisher. In the show, we explore different topics that software developers encounter in their careers. The format of the show is that one of us researches a topic, and the other reacts with insights from their experience. Tweet us at Podcast to send us topics you'd like to hear discussed. Today's episode is about DevOps. I've done the research this week, and John will react with his experience. So John, what do you think when you first hear the phrase DevOps? What comes to mind? I think of Joe. <laughs> Joe is the the guy at our company that's like the, trying to single-handedly do this. But I think of um, like continuous integration. Uh, I think of builds and, and how to push them. Mm-hmm. The sort of like the process of moving developers code along and like the environments that go along with that. Yeah. And trying to like standardize things and make it you know, easy on the developers. That all definitely sounds like the realm of DevOps. Um, so when I was doing the research, I couldn't find, you know, an academic definition of DevOps. Um, obviously, dev comes from development and ops comes from operations. I was finding definitions from a bunch of different companies like Atlassian, Amazon, Red Hat, and Microsoft. Um, so I'm just going to go with Atlassian's definition here. They say DevOps is a set of practices that work to automate and integrate the processes between software development and IT teams so they can build, test, and release software faster and more reliably. Yeah, that's what I said, right? That's basically what you said, yeah. Before we get into some of these different practices, I just want to go over a little bit of history about DevOps. Back in the day before DevOps was really a thing, development and operations were two different houses. Um, So you'd have business users... And what do the business people want? Well, they want change. They want change fast. They want big changes. At the same time, they want a product or a a website that is stable, that never has outages, that works quickly for their end users, their customers. So business users want both of those things. So what do they do to accomplish the first thing? Well, they hire a team of developers to develop those big and fast changes. And then to accomplish the second thing, they hire system administrators to keep the system stable. But what the business side doesn't realize is that these two things are diametrically opposed to each other. You know, if you deliver big changes and you deliver them quickly, you're inevitably going to introduce instability, which is what uh, the other point was, that we want a system that's stable. Right. Uh, And so DevOps seeks to resolve this dilemma instead of being two opposing forces at each other's throats, it's how do we work together to accomplish these goals. So the history goes that there was a software development consultant named Patrick Du Bois, and uh, he was an ambitious guy. He wanted to learn every aspect of IT. And so over the course of 15 years, Patrick took on different roles, such as being a developer, being a network specialist, being a system administrator, a software tester, and a project manager. So he was really all over the place. One of the biggest things Patrick struggled with was the difference between how dev and ops worked and how to manage the work across those two groups. In 2008, a man named Andrew Schaefer posted an idea for an agile infrastructure birds of a feather session at the Agile 2008 conference. Uh, And so Patrick saw this post and was like, hey, this guy thinks like me. And he tracked Andrew down and they started a Google group named Agile System Administration. Uh, The following year, in 2009, Patrick started a conference named DevOps Days. That year, it was held in Belgium. 
the conference brought together an energetic group of forward-thinking minds trying to improve software deployment. The conversation kept going after the conference on Twitter with the hashtag DevOpsDays. But, you know, we're all lazy on the internet, and so they shortened it to just DevOps. So the beginnings of this, it was never really about um, starting one unified team. It was just bringing developers and operation specialists together, just like, let's have a better conversation. Mm -hmm. Uh, In 2010, DevOps Days, the conference holds more events in other countries, um, such as in the U.S. and in Australia. And so from all these different conferences, you know, you're building a community here of people that are thinking alike. And so it's a really grassroots movement picking up. In 2011, this starts to get the attention of analysts and big vendors, such as Atlassian or AWS. You know, hey, there's this concept called DevOps people are talking about. I bet we could market that to businesses. Uh, So through the years after that, 2012 to 2014, uh, you know, it's starting to become more of a buzzword. DevOps days, the conference continues to grow. People start writing books about it. You know, there's so much interest in it, but people don't really know how to get started. So people start writing material to follow. And then in 2014, you start to see some of the bigger companies implement DevOps for the first time. The companies they have listed here are Target, Nordstrom, and Lego uh, are the first big companies to start to implement DevOps in their enterprise. Uh, And if you look at the Google trends for the search term DevOps, definitely starts ramping up in 2014 as as that uh, movement continues to grow. How much do you think this is just like we've finally coined the term? And how much of it do you think is like actually new practices coming into play? Um, I think that there's definitely some practices that we would have practiced in legacy But there are definitely new practices that came about, I think, as a result of um, this movement. But we'll get into those practices in a minute. First, we'll talk about the goals in DevOps. So the first one is speed. We want to be able to move at high velocity. um, And so that's faster time to market, being able to innovate for customers faster. You know, you have an existing product, but you want to improve it, that sort of thing. We have rapid delivery. So instead of, you know, a release every three months or something like that, you know, you're able to release once a week, once a day, even, you know, some companies deploy multiple times a day nowadays. Uh, And so something like that would have been unheard of before. Reliability. Um, So this is being able to ensure the software gets tested and the software stays at a high quality. Uh, And we do this through CI/CD processes, which we'll talk about later, and running tests every time a change is made to the code. We test that code to make sure that the change is safe and functional. Um, Scale is another important goal for DevOps. You know, if you are Netflix or Twitter and you just have hundreds of millions of users, you want to make sure that your software is able to scale to meet those needs. Um, Security is another important goal, um, being able to ensure that there are proper controls in the process and that you're able to preserve compliance in the process. It seems like a lot of this came up along the same time and like with the same topics as like cloud infrastructure. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think a lot of the practices wouldn't really be possible without that type of infrastructure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say also that the agile software development process kind of taking foot in software teams also kind of had a feedback loop with DevOps, I guess. Um, So those are the different goals, speed, rapid delivery, reliability, scale, security, and improved collaboration. And so what are some of the practices that DevOps follows to achieve those goals? 
Uh, well, the first one is software development. So DevOps engineers are developers sometimes too. So they might have to write the scripts that does the automated deployment of your application, or they might have to set up a pipeline that can deploy your application to all the various environments. Um, so they will follow the same software development lifecycle that I'll say ordinary developers follow. Um, you know, they'll do the development, they'll do a code review, they'll use some sort of source code management tool, etc. And likely they'll follow the agile methodology. Uh, if you'd like to hear more about different software development life cycles, you can listen to one of our earlier episodes about Agile versus Waterfall and a few other project management methodologies in that episode as well. So yeah, DevOps engineers do software development too. <laughs> um, but the biggest practice probably people are familiar with is continuous integration and continuous delivery. So continuous integration, uh, what does that mean? Um, so that what that means is every time new code is committed to a code repository, automated builds are produced and automated test suites are run. This allows bugs to be found and addressed more quickly, ensuring the code in the main branch is always stable. So that's continuous integration. You know, every time you're making a change, we're, we're building those artifacts, you know, on the fly and making sure that they're quality artifacts. Well, so ma making sure that they're quality artifacts is really, that's up to the developer, right? The DevOps side of thing is giving the developer the chance to do that, right? Or like the, the tools, I guess. Definitely true. The DevOps engineer would, at the very least, set up the possibility for you to use these tools and ensure that your artifacts are a good quality. Uh, so that's continuous integration. Continuous delivery expands upon that. You know, once we have a system in place that tells us that that artifact is good, then we can automatically deploy that artifact to the testing environment and maybe even the production environment, depending on how confident you are in the process. So when continuous delivery is implemented properly, developers will always have a deployment-ready build artifact that has passed through a standardized test process. When both of these things are combined, that process is called CICD. And implementing CICD allows teams to focus on building the code, removes the overhead and potential human error in manual mundane steps. You know, I've worked at companies where the deployment process was, hey, copy these files onto this server or run this script, that sort of thing. Right. So do you guys have a CICD process at your company? No, we're moving in that direction. Um, but for instance, uh, when we generate our artifacts like minified JavaScript or like the war file for the backend services, Mm -hmm. When we create that artifact, then we still have to go in and like tag the code and oh, I see. <laughs> the tag needs to match the artifact name. And then we have to go into a separate system and actually like paste in that tag and hit submit. And then it needs to get like manually approved by somebody from the testing team. Oh, I see. And then we do that same code posting process for each environment but it's a manual step for each environment gotcha okay so, so we so we don't re, we don't regenerate the artifact we just like we have that tag that we've deployed to qa uh-huh and then we kind of copy and paste that into the different environments and quote unquote like submit the code post which on the unix side is actually just moving that war file from some yum repository to a either qa host or like a staging host or like uat host mm -hmm. or you know then ultimately the production host but it's just moving that file around gotcha so you have the continuous integration part but not the continuous delivery then yeah and even the continuous integration i think there are still some missing pieces 
Gotcha. Um, yeah, it's definitely a process to implement DevOps. And we'll talk about uh, at the very end of the episode how companies who either haven't transitioned yet or are in the middle of transition, what are some practices you can follow as you make that transition? So cool. That was CICD. That's the second DevOps practice. Um, the next one, this is more of a, I guess, at the software developers practice. Um, and remember, DevOps is supposed to be an umbrella for the culture. So this would be a practice that the developer should follow in order to enable DevOps best practices. And so that best practice is microservices. In microservice architecture, the design approach is to build a single application as a set of small services where each service is scoped to a single purpose. Um, these services can run in their own individual process and communicate with each other, typically over HTTP. Um, and why this is valuable, especially to something like the CICD process, is because they're independent, you can deploy them independently. Uh, so if you have a website about games, so you might have profile pages about those games, and then you have a commenting system. The profiles could be one microservice, and the commenting system could be another microservice. And so as you're working through improvements to the commenting system, maybe you introduce some smarter moderation. Um, you can deploy that you know, without affecting the profile pages. So what I've heard about this, and tell me if this is true in, in what you've found out, is that if you don't have like a very good CI/CD system set up, then you're kind of shooting yourself in your foot by trying to go with microservices. Oh, yeah, I would believe that. I would believe it would be a huge pain in the ass to deploy 10 applications yeah. because you don't have a CI/CD process for each of them. Right, right. That's a great point. That's a good prerequisite, I guess, to microservices is a good CI/CD process. Right. Um, the other benefit to microservices uh, that I'll mention is that because they're independent of each other, you can use different frameworks and even different programming languages to write them. So if you've got some developers that are more confident in Node, they can write their services in Node. And if another team's more confident with Python, well, then they can write their services in Python. Um, so that was microservices. The next one is called infrastructure as code. Um, so what this is, is basically specifying the environment that your application is going to run in as a configuration file. Uh, so for instance, Docker would be a great example where in a Docker file, you can specify, you know, I'm going to start from this particular Docker image. I'm going to make these modifications to that image. And then here's the commands to start my application. Um, and so that saves so much time because in the past, this, you know, might have been 10 years ago, you would have to go to the systems department and you would have to ask, hey, can you create a new server? And back then it might have actually been a physical server and they would have to put the hardware in it and install whatever operating system they needed to install and install whatever programs you would ask them to install and that sort of thing. Like all of that just takes so much time and red tape. Uh, whereas now with something like Docker, you can just say, in a few lines, this is what my application needs to run. Right. Do you guys use containers at all or virtual machines at least? Are your like QA servers, do you know if they're virtual machines or real real machines? Um, they are virtual machines. That's good. Even VMs are helpful at least because uh, you can like duplicate VMs. You know, you can take snapshots and you can fork. You can say like you might have like a base image that you start all your other images from. Yep. Two more to go. Uh, so the next to last practice to follow with DevOps is monitoring and logging. Ooh, I love, I've like recently got super passionate about logging. So let's, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Okay. Yeah. Um, once you deploy something to production, like you're not done, these things can have bugs. They can have performance issues and that sort of thing. And to help you better understand those issues, 
we need to collect metrics and we need to collect logs and be able to understand those things and make changes to improve the product. Uh, so tell us about your passion for logging. Well, I guess it's not really related to DevOps because I think you're talking about more like logging to monitor system performance. No, it can be um, log files, anything. So I recently was like pretty frustrated um, trying to correlate our different like infrastructure levels. Like you see a request come in through like an external system and it goes through a gateway and that's kind of like at the networking layer. And so we have a system called Splunk, Mm -hmm. um, which is... in my opinion, a lot of fun. It's like really great. I love just playing with it. Um, but it logs out information at all of these different what's called like indices. So you have logs at uh, the network layer, mm-hmm. and then you have logs at the XML gateway layer, uh, and then you have logs at like when you're actually like running on the application coming through like on the Tomcat server. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was really frustrated because there was no way for me to correlate these logs. Like there was no unique identifier. Mm, mm -hmm. Um, So I put in a way to correlate our logs that were coming through in the network layer um, all the way through to our Tomcat layer. Mm -hmm. And so I was really happy with that. I was like, oh, finally, like I can see how these requests relate to each other. When you have a thousand users over the course of a minute, all of the logs are interleaved with each other and it doesn't make any sense anymore. (laughs) Nice. That sounds like a great solution to me. Yeah. To just give a unique ID and follow it along. Yeah. So uh, then the last practice for uh, DevOps is communication and collaboration. At the highest level, this is supposed to be like a cultural change, not just, you know, a specific department or a specific team member. Like we're all supposed to be buying into the culture of DevOps. And so part of that process is, you know, that we share information, that we communicate with each other, that you might even integrate your teams. So you might have a DevOps engineer with you on the team, not on a separate team. Those are all the uh, best practices for DevOps. You know, despite all of these benefits and really uh, great goals, there are some hardships that you might face with DevOps. And so the first one is developments versus operations. Uh, So despite the fact that what I just said was this is supposed to be a cultural change where we bring people together, dev and ops teams can still be at war sometimes. You know, the operations people are incentivized to ensure security of the servers and things like that. They're tasked with keeping reliability and availability up where the developers are incentivized for speed to market, for building that new feature as quickly as possible. And so sort of like we were talking about in the very beginning of the episode, these incentives are conflicting. And even with a good DevOps process, you know, if those people are still on different teams, they still have different incentives. And so they might still conflict with each other. Um, And so that's why I was saying, you know, a good practice would be to integrate operations engineers on the team with you to not make them someone conflicting with you, but to realize that you're all part of the same team. And really the goal is to help your end customer, not yourselves. Uh, So that's kind of the first hardship is still just getting over that hump of it's not us versus them. We're all in this together. Um, The second kind of hardship that people face when trying to implement DevOps, and this is, again, more about the developer side, uh, more so than the operations side, but the fact that microservices have a barrier to entry. So if you're coming off of a legacy monolithic system, It's going to take time to split out everything into separate microservices, and that's going to take some investment. Uh, So then you have to like convince higher ups, you know, that this is worth doing uh, because you're going to be able to iterate faster once you're done. 
Uh, so that's just something you have to accept going into DevOps. You can certainly implement DevOps without microservices. It's just worlds better to do it. But like you mentioned, only if you've got a great CI/CD process to support it. Yep, yep. The third hardship is when there's too much focus on the tools. Um, so I think, you know, a lot of companies out there, they hear about DevOps, they hear about all these benefits, and they want to just get it all. It's just kind of like machine learning, to use an analogy. Like people, <laughs> machine learning is the buzzword, and everybody wants to do machine learning, even if they have absolutely no reason to actually do machine learning. <laughs> <laughs> I heard I heard something that like most, so like a lot of companies are saying they have like, AI systems and stuff, uh-huh. but a lot of times it's just like somebody like manually like doing data entry behind the scenes. <laughs> nice, yeah, I believe it. Just so they can say that they have machine learning, though. Yeah, right. So same deal here. Now, I mean, DevOps is a little more practical than machine learning. There are probably some benefits you'd get from it, but because they're so excited to get there, they go out and they buy all these tools and they hire DevOps engineers to bring those tools, you know, to the company. But DevOps, like I've been saying, is meant to be a cultural shift where, you know, here are our goals. We want fast deployments. We want stability. We want scalability, that sort of thing. And what you're supposed to do uh, is work with the developers and say, you know, let's say, you know, that they don't have a CI CD process. Then you go to the development team and you say like, hey, here are some tools that we know have worked for companies in the past to do CI CD, which one would kind of fit best with your team? Where Mm. it seems like companies can take the opposite approach of like, well, I've hired this DevOps engineer and I'm just going to have him get it done. And now the development team that's got to work with this process doesn't understand it because they weren't really involved in the creation of it. So yeah, focus on your teammates, not so much on the tools. Uh, Another hardship is excessive alerts. So we just mentioned how that was a goal is to get all these metrics and all this logging. So you go out and you find all these different systems that do monitoring, and then the teams start getting like dozens of emails a day from all these different alerting systems. And so all this, it's just a signal to noise problem. Like once you get so many emails and you start ignoring them, then you're going to miss the ones that actually matter. Like, oh no, everything's everything's alerting me but it's like we're in the same position we were last week so it must be fine so i'm just going to ignore these (laughs) right um and i'll even admit to this that like i get some and i have a outlook rule set up to just put them in a folder you know (laughs) like that's how bad it can be so yeah that's a big that's a big problem uh so they recommend keeping up with that and like making tweaks to the alerting system you know to make sure that you're getting a rate that's digestible i guess i'll say yeah the other important thing is that like the feedback that you get from these alerts needs to be actionable because that's another problem is like you could get this alert and it's just like if it's super vague you know you're not gonna take it seriously right we have a out of memory alert that fires occasionally at work uh-huh. So it's it's not specific to environment and it's not specific to application. What? So any t- <laughs> and and it's and it's sent to all app devs. So nice. Anytime there's an out of memory exception in any environment anywhere within the organization, everybody gets emails about it. <laughs> and at first I was like, oh, this is like really important. I need to because I thought it was just for production and I thought yeah. it was maybe potentially just catered to like the applications that I'm listed under as a developer. 
so I like set up an Outlook rule to forward myself these emails, uh-huh. like to my to like a text message because I don't have Slack set up on my phone because I'm old school. But I think Thursday of last week, I got eighty of these notices <laughs> from from an application that's one not mine and two not in production. And nice. so I was I was so pissed. Uh, but I guess it's my own fault for signing up for these <laughs> things, anyways. Well, what you should do is change the Outlook rule to just put it in the trash since it's yeah that, <laughs> exactly since it's that useless. Um, speaking of trash, another hardship that happens in DevOps is when people spend time automating waste. And so what they're getting at here is, um, say you're a company and you've heard about DevOps and you're just so excited to implement it and get a perfect CI/CD process in place. The point is that as you go through this process, you should be evaluating your existing processes too. Many of your existing processes might have bottlenecks that need to be changed, but instead you're spending time automating what's already a bad process, and that's a waste of time, especially because once you start doing all of that, you're just pouring concrete on it, and it makes that bad design more permanent. Mm -hmm. Just if you're out there and are thinking about or in the middle of transitioning to DevOps, take the time to also improve the applications or the architecture or whatever. Uh, Make sure you're in a good spot with those things before you start going down a CICD path or what have you. Mm. This one wasn't in the list that uh, I was researching, but I'm just going to say it anyway. Uh, So this would be from my personal experience. There's lack of exposure to product state stakeholders. So everything, you know, I've been reading to you and I've been stressing how DevOps is supposed to be a cultural shift. That's not how I've seen it play out. You know, I've seen it play out that it's like it becomes a department or in your case, you know, it became that one engineer who got really good at DevOps stuff. It never seems to be something that gets bought into at the higher levels. Now, maybe if it's a company like Netflix or Facebook or what have you, who are just more of the startup era, I guess I would say, maybe then there is significant buy-in from the top and exposure to stakeholders. But I guess why I'm bringing this up is kind of what I was getting at earlier with the how developers are tasked with getting things out so quickly, whereas DevOps engineers are tasked with keeping things stable and how those things are conflicting with each other. Mm. If those two things are in conflict, and if the whole point of this is to establish a better process, then I think, in my opinion, operations engineers should be exposed more to the business stakeholders. So for instance, you know, I go to these meetings and I'm uh, talking to the product stakeholders and the project managers and the product owners, and they want to know when can this be done? And they're looking for estimates. And so I'm going to give them an estimate that I think is reasonable based on, you know, my team's throughput and that sort of thing. But then potentially there could be something I'm missing that an operations engineer might know and be able to inform that discussion even more. But it just seems like that doesn't happen. I've never seen that happen. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I I think a little bit of it is probably education. Like if they don't, you know, they don't know a lot of like the terms and stuff that we're using. So Mm -hmm. to them, it's, it's first hard to understand, but then too, if you can't present to them, like the real world impact of how doing this is going to make your life easier mm-hmm. or if conversely not doing it will make your life harder. If you can't like put that to them in, in real business terms, then mm-hmm. there's no incentive for buy-in. Right. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Um, so those are all the different hardships. Despite them, there is obviously plenty of adoption of DevOps practices. Um, a survey in 2016 by RightScale shows that 74% of companies have implemented DevOps in some fashion. 
Um, so different companies that are embracing DevOps, obviously companies who were born on the web. So Etsy, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, those types of companies. Um, mainstream media companies. So for instance, Sony Pictures is known to use DevOps in their process. But some places you might not expect are financial services. So Barclays Bank is known to use DevOps. And then various government organizations have started practicing DevOps. Uh, the examples they listed are the U.S. Patent and Trade Office, General Services Administrator, and Fannie Mae. Uh, and really, any company that uses technology, uh, especially public-facing technology, can take advantage of DevOps. Um, and surprisingly, there's evidence that shows that the company's size by itself does not predict the success of those DevOps implementations, which I thought was pretty surprising. You know, big companies usually have a harder time, you know, shifting cultures and mindsets, but apparently DevOps has managed to overcome those, and even big companies are able to take advantage of it. If your company hasn't started transitioning to DevOps or is still in the process of transitioning to DevOps, here are some things that you might need to overcome. Um, the first one is overcoming resistance to change. The prospect of deploying code changes every single day probably sounds scary to people who don't have CI/CD processes in place already. You know, typically for them, they might spend months working on a release, maybe even a year, uh, depending on the organization. So when you tell them, hey, I'm going to deploy code changes every day instead, you know, that's pretty scary. And those people will kind of resist these concepts that either they're not on board with or they don't understand. Um, so one of the ways they recommend tackling that is to not make such big changes overnight. You know, DevOps doesn't happen overnight, so you can make it a smooth and gradual process. Probably the best place to start is the CI/CD process, getting that pipeline in place. You know, start with the CI, just start with, hey, on committing codes, run the builds and perform the tests. And even that's going to like save people so much time um, compared to the old days of, well, developers would do everything by hand and, and then QA engineers would test it by hand, right? Having a test suite and CI/CD um, is already a great start in the DevOps transition. The next recommendation is to implement Agile well. So before you even get started with DevOps, make sure you've already got a great Agile process. Um, you know, a lot of companies still practice waterfall methodologies. Uh, and so again, if you're interested in learning more about different project management methodologies, check out one of our previous episodes on that. Um, but companies that still follow Waterfall, you know, they're going to struggle with DevOps because like, what would be the point? Because Waterfall, you're doing things on a schedule of three months, six months, one year, whatever. You know, there wouldn't be much point in having a DevOps process alongside that. Right. So switch to Agile if you're not doing Agile yet and do Agile right. The next suggestion is to modernize your change management process. And John, it kind of sounded like you were getting bit by this a little bit. Um, so basically what they're saying here is, you know, you can spend so much time investing and in implementing these automated CI/CD processes only to have to wait for a manual review. Don't do that either. I think a lot of higher ups in the company always like having their say and being involved. But a lot of these reviews are just rubber stamp approvals. If that person's busy that week, then they say, well, sorry, I can't get to you till next week, right? So yep. fuck that. 
Um, so two, I think, important things that I want to bring up here. One is that I think security review is really important. Mm-hmm. The other thing I wanted to, to say, I'm a really big fan of something called A-B testing, where you roll out the new feature to a small subset of users. I love that idea. If that rubber stamp is something that people are very worried about, this should be something that um, should like alleviate a lot of concerns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great suggestion. Another suggestion on your way to transitioning to DevOps is to modernize your testing practices. So what this means is, uh, so we talked earlier how, you know, old school, the approach is that the development team would make a bunch of changes and the expression is that they would throw the code over the wall to the QA team and the QA team would manually <laughs> test all those changes. Um, but that's just not a scalable solution, first of all. But the transition to DevOps, you're probably going to want to set up CI/CD processes first. But if you don't have unit tests, if you don't have any test suites, that sort of thing, well, then that continuous integration step isn't going to be able to catch any of the issues that the QA team is catching on a regular basis. And so this actually gets into, again, expressing how DevOps is supposed to be a cultural change that's it shouldn't be developers versus QA engineers. They should be on an integrated team. And so the developers should be absolutely concerned about writing unit tests and test suites and that sort of thing. But also the QA engineers then can care a little bit more about the code that's going into, into that application because, again, they're part of the same team instead of being two separate departments. Um, so that's kind of the recommendation for that. But absolutely you need to have a test suite of some kind to protect you when you've got a CI/CD process. So that's kind of a prerequisite to that. All right, there's a couple more suggestions. Um, the next one is don't depend on heroes. And so uh, what this is getting at is that companies, you know, can have rockstar developers is what you'll see on job descriptions on Indeed lately, where that person just seems to just know it all and seems to always turn up some solution. But the thing you might not know about that person is they probably worked... 12 hours to produce that and that that kind of behavior is not sustainable. Uh, That person will probably get burnt out and that person can introduce instability despite being so talented. You know, maybe this talented engineer got tired of doing something that was manual. And so they wrote some scripts to try to automate the work and be a hero, right? And they run that script and let's say it worked the first couple times and then all of a sudden the script stops working. Well, now nobody else can troubleshoot what's going on except the person that wrote that script. And depending on what that script was doing, you know, it could become a nightmare of a problem to solve, depending on like what systems it was calling and that sort of thing. Like, how are you going to track this down? Well, the only person that can figure it out is the person that wrote the script instead of the team. So don't depend on heroes. Make sure you've got a great team of developers and that you're all going to go through this transition as a team. Um, The next one is to get executive sponsorship. Again, DevOps is supposed to be a cultural change. It's not something that happens overnight. People are going to need training. People are going to need to spend time, you know, maybe changing their monolith to microservices and that sort of thing. So there's going to be a big investment of time and resources. Uh, You're going to find that you'll need different tools uh, like Jenkins to do CI/CD processes and um, different monitoring tools to monitor behavior in production. And you're going to have to pay for all those things. So you really got to make sure that you explain it to your higher ups and that um, you can get buy in for that process. Uh, speaking of, the next suggestion is to make that time for training. Um, 
they point out that the people that need DevOps the most are the ones that would never have the time for the training, right? Like they're doing everything by hand all day, every day. Yeah. And they just don't have time to engineer a whole, you know, continuous integration, continuous development pipeline. I saw, I think it was an XKCD comic. It was really funny. It was some guy that was trying to, like, push a square. Mm -hmm. And so it's, like, this big stone square. And he's, like, this ancient Flintstone dude. Um, And he's, like, really pushing hard against it and, like, just going crazy, just trying to move this thing down, like, you know, 10 yards or whatever. Um, And his buddy comes up next to him and and he's Mm -hmm. also got a big stone, but um, he has, like, a wheel. So it's a big stone wheel. And he's like, hey, like look guy like hey check this out like check out what i made uh i think it would like be really useful to you uh and the guy's like no like what i don't have time well can't you see i'm trying to move this block (laughs) yeah no that's a great analogy yeah like it's gonna save you so much time and yeah you just have to make the time to to do it okay almost done the last part is uh just for fun they mentioned some extensions to devops that i thought were kind of interesting i think a lot of these are just throwing ops onto the end of the name to make it sound cool so for instance the first one is called sysops which is really just systems administration of yesteryear renamed to sound cooler (laughs) Um, there's data ops the application of continuous delivery and devops to data analytics DataOps seeks to integrate data engineering, data integration, data quality, data security, and data privacy with operations. So it's really specialized on handling data. Uh, WinOps, which was kind of funny. Uh, WinOps is the term used for DevOps practices for a Microsoft-centric view. Uh, that wasn't a citation, but it's basically like if you're a Microsoft house, you could call your DevOps WinOps instead of DevOps. Wait. You should call yourself lose ops. <laughs> uh, another one is called DevSecOps. I have I have heard that before. Yeah. Yeah. DevSecOps is an augmentation of DevOps to allow for security practices to be integrated into the DevOps approach. So that's it. Uh, do you have any other closing thoughts, John? No, that was good. Um, I honestly didn't know a whole lot about DevOps. It's, I know it's just kind of like been a buzzword. Um, but yeah, it was good to hear the research on that. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, same here. You know, I've, I have only known the software development side, and I definitely learned a lot doing all this research and have a newfound respect for the DevOps engineers um, that I work with on a daily basis. So this was a great episode for us to do. Cool. Thanks, John. Awesome. Yeah. And we'll see you next time, folks.